This is the Dreamers Podcast, where dreamers share their stories to inspire you. Now, join host Joe Pardo as he interviews a dreamer who's living their dreams. Welcome to the Dreamers Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Pardo, and today I'm interviewing Michael Stover Sr., who is living his dream through running a sports facility. Welcome to the show, Mike. Thank you, Joe. Great to be here. It's great to be here right in the sports facility. <laughs> Let's get started by giving some background about yourself. I was uh, born and raised in Philadelphia. Went through schooling over there until middle school. Then we moved to New Jersey. Spent from my middle school years all the way to the present living in South Jersey. After high school, went into the uh, U.S. Navy. Spent six years in the Navy. Got out of the service. Found a job, if you will. Was going to college part-time at night. Not really knowing what direction in life I wanted to go or where life was going to take me. And uh, kind of stumbled upon this, this job that I'm in now. Kind of dumb luck, really, to be honest with you. And... Uh, I've been in this business for over 20 years now. Well, first of all, thank you for your service. I, I appreciate uh, it. Honestly, people that know me know some of my best stories, and, and I've been one to spin a tale or two. Usually start with this catchphrase, when I was in the Navy, and then it goes from there. So uh, I, I really, really thoroughly enjoyed my time in the service. And, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was really an honor to, to wear the uniform, honestly. Well, if you'd like to, you can give a story. Uh <laughs> Some of it may not be, you know, right for public consumption at this point, uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe maybe on the next show. Well, uh, what would you say inspires you? Well, you know, I, I've always I've always been the type of person. I'm 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 an energetic person. You know, I, I enjoy getting up in the morning. I, I enjoy just doing something. It doesn't matter what it happens to be. It could be the smallest thing in life to me that, that, that will inspire me. Honestly and genuinely would say probably the biggest thing that inspires me is just people. To me, a good day to me is, is a day that I made a friend, a good friend or a new friend. That inspires me. I, I, I've always been a people person. I'm driven by people. It never ceases to amaze me that there's so many different people out there that have so many different opinions and likes and dislikes and, you know, whatever on a vast topic you know, of, of vast, you know, topics, but that's, that's always been me. I, I, I've always enjoyed people. I made a friend today. I made a new friend today. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a new tenant across from our building in, in a little strip center. And, uh, I happened to get some of their mail delivered to, to our building. And I walked over and I introduced myself and I went up spending about 25 minutes over there talking to this guy. Uh, he's an insurance broker and you know, I, I, I made a new friend today and it was good. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's a good guy. And like I said, it's just something as simple as that. Well, let's first talk about going into the Navy. How did that come about? Well, Joe, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, I was I was not what you would consider a, a, a very scholastic oriented person as as a young as a young person. I I didn't take my my high school career very seriously. I I didn't I didn't work very hard at, at grades, and I didn't work very hard trying to impress teachers enough to give me a good grade. On some fronts, it could be looked at as, you know, some teachers just thought I was lazy. I just was never really, getting back to that word, I was never really inspired enough, I don't think, through high school to really go out and go over and above and try to achieve. 
So during my high school years, I was really an underachiever. I had 185 kids or so in my graduating class. I think I was ranked 181 out of 185 kids. So that'll go to where I'm talking about, you know, the depths that the underachieving actually sank to. I have to look back and I always remember a conversation I had with my mom when I was when I was in 10th grade. I brought home my report card. It was not very good. I think the highest grade was was an A, which was in, in gym. And then from gym, it, it, it sank down to like a C in English and then just went from there. So I, I brought home a standard, you know, Mike Stover report card, which was pretty bad. And my mom pulled me aside and she said, is this the best you can do? Is this the best you can do? And I said, yes, that's the best I can do. And she said, if this is the best you can do, then, then I'm not going to worry about it because I only want you to do the best you can do. But you know, and I know that you're smarter than this and you could do better work than this if you really wanted to. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to make you do more chores. I just want you to do the best that you can do. And I took that to heart and I floundered my way through high school the rest of the way. <laughs> because it was almost like, you know, my mom gave me a free pass. But I'll never forget the words that she said were, this report card makes you look like you're not smart. But I know in my heart that you're smart. And that's what I'm going to bank on. Because I know you're smart. And I think you know you're smart. So you do what you have to do in school. I know that, that you can do much, much better than what you're doing now. And uh, I always remembered that. It, it struck me in a sense. So to make a short story long, to, to how I got myself to go into the service, uh, I graduated high school. I had enrolled at Glassboro State College, which is now Rowan University in, in Glassboro, New Jersey. I was there maybe a weekend, honestly. And I looked around and I knew that, that I was completely out of my element. I mean, I didn't belong there. And I had a friend of mine, good friend of mine, who we had been childhood friends and I'm still friends with him to this day. I came home from, from college for the weekend and I went to my buddy's house and he had all this stuff on his desk about the U.S. Navy. And I looked at it and I said, what's this all about? And he said, uh, oh, I'm going to enlist in the Navy. I said, really? And he said, yeah. He goes, uh, it's pretty good. He goes, I'm going to go to boot camp and, you know, then I'm going to go to school and, you know, then, you know, they're going to train me and then I'm going to, you know, get a job in the Navy and I don't want to go to college. And this is an opportunity for me to not only get some education, but also get paid for the education. And he said, so that's what I'm going to do. And I said, wow, I'll go tomorrow if my mom will sign the papers. Because at the time I was still only 17. So I went home and I said to my mom, you know, I, I want to join the Navy. And she goes, you're not joining the Navy. She goes, you're going to college. And I told her, I said, I, I don't belong there. I don't feel like I belong at a university. I'm, I, that's not what I'm cut out to be. I said, listen, I, I'm only 17 and I want to enlist, but you know, I'm not 18. You have to sign the papers for me. And my parents were divorced. And I said, listen, if you don't sign, you know, I'm going to call dad and I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to sign. She reluctantly signed the papers for me to go in. And I went up, you know, going into the service. Quite frankly, it was probably the single best decision I've, I've made from, from, from a career standpoint. It's probably my single best decision I've ever made. Why would you say that? Well, uh, at that point, you know, once you go into the military, there's no place for Mike Stover from the 1975 to 1979 Circa High School. There's no, there's no place for that guy. 
either either you're going to conform and you're going to achieve what they want you to achieve or you're going to be put out and the last thing that I wanted as as an individual and I guess you know this has kind of carried me through my life is I, I never wanted to go back to my hometown and 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 tell all the kids that I failed I didn't want to tell my classmates or my neighbors or my family and my friends that that I got that I got kicked out of the service so it was almost a situation where you know I was I was fearful of of becoming a failure in the military and that kind of turned me in in a, in, a, in a sense where I st- I started to look at myself a little bit differently I started to think of myself differently I started to think you know what you know may- maybe I am smarter than I really gave myself credit for maybe there is more that I can do than just be you know some some dumb dumb that graduated you know in the bottom one percent of my class and the the fear of failure drove me to become a better person and a, a better a better sailor in the United States Navy and then it, it carried me on into my adult life I mean I, I I went through boot camp I went to a class A school in Millington Tennessee and graduated second in my class out of maybe 50 sailors which is isn't great but I mean for me at that point I was at the top looking down rather than at the bottom looking up and that inspired me to work harder I'm like wow I did I did really well I mean and and, and I didn't have to take a gym class to get an A uh, you know I, I I did well for myself and it was really a life-changing experience for me so let's fast forward to how you got involved with owning your own sports facility that is uh, <laughs> that that that's something that was never never my intention uh, I got out of the Navy and I took a job working for a consulting engineering firm and started out as an entry-level position and kind of worked my way up, went through certification courses in engineering. <clears throat> then I decided that I wanted to put myself back into school. And I went to Burlington County College, Burlington, uh, or in uh, Pemberton, New Jersey. Went up going to school at night, working full-time during the day. And I, I, I got an associate's degree in business administration. And it was, again, one of those things where I said to myself, wow, you know, I went to, I went to Glassboro State College as a 17-year-old, and I knew that I didn't you know, really belong there. And then as a 22 or 23-year-old, I went back to a community school, and I'm saying to myself, I should have done this five years ago. But in any event, I was working part-time, and I, I met a, a lovely young lady who I happened to marry. And my job took me to the point where I started to make a little bit of money in life. I was like, wow, I'm doing pretty good here. Young guy, 28, 29 years old, and making a little bit of money. My wife and I had our son. Our first son was born, and, you know, we were living in a condo at the time. And it was like a, you know, two-bedroom, two-bath little condo, and we wanted to get a single-family home. And we found ourselves down here in Washington Township, New Jersey, and we, we bought a single-family home. We had decided when, when our son was born that we wanted to raise our child. We wanted to be the primary caregivers. We wanted to be the ones that saw him walk and talk and throw a baseball. We wanted to be the first ones to see all those things. You know, I didn't want to find out at kinder care that my son, oh, your son walked today or your son ate SpaghettiOs by himself today. We, you know, we wanted to be there for him. So we moved down here to Washington Township and the gentleman who owned this facility 
prior to me was was a, a friend of ours. My wife and I had, had known for a number of years. He found out that I moved down here and offered me a part-time job, you know, working in, you know, one or two nights a week. We were roller skating at that time. And he said, listen, I, I could use a, you know, a part-time manager to help me out. Would you be interested in coming in and, and, and give me some part-time, some, some part-time help? At the time, you know, getting back to, you know, my wife and I working and not working, I went home and I said to my wife, who was working a part-time job at night, <clears throat> and it was killing her. And I said, listen, I can work part-time at the skating rink at night, a couple nights a week, rather than you leaving the house at night when I come home from work and then coming home at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning, and then when I leave at 6 a.m., you have to be up because we have a baby to take care of. Why don't you allow me to do that? And then you could stay home. And, you know, it's only going to be a couple nights a week. So, you know, we agreed that that's the path that we wanted to take. <clears throat> well, the one or two nights a week turned into three nights a week, turned into four nights a week, turned into, oh, my God, I'm there seven nights a week. And after a year, a year and a half, the guy who owned the business asked me if I would like to come in and work from full time. And I said, dude, what are you talking about? I got a career, man. I got a wife. I got a house. I'm not working at a skating rink. He said, you know, it's great part-time money, but, you know, I would never think about, you know, it is a career for me. And... I said, listen, with all due respect, I said, this is your business, and I'm not looking down my nose at you because you're doing a great thing, but this wasn't what I had envisioned for myself. Ironically, Joe, my wife and I both grew up as roller skaters as kids. We both grew up skating to the point where my wife grew up, her mother was a competitive figure skater, roller, not ice, roller. And her mom was... Born and raised in roller skating centers. My wife roller skated as a kid. I've always roller skated. So, ironically, to, to be offered a job at a skating center was kind of like, really? You know, is this what you want to do? So, uh, my wife and I talked about it. And the gentleman who owned the business before me, you know, made me a great offer to come in and work his business full time. So, at, the, at that point, I, I accepted the job. We were just running roller skating sessions and birthday parties. And... I just happened to be looking through a, a, a roller skating association trade magazine, which every business I'm sure has their own trade magazine. And I was leafing through this thing one day, just you know, trying to figure out what the business was all about. And I saw there was rinks throughout the country that were running roller hockey programs to supplement their income and fill in dead times in their schedules. And I said to the guy who owned the building at the time, I said, we should try to do this. And he goes, I don't know anything about running hockey. He goes, what do you know about running hockey? I said, I don't know anything about running hockey. He said, but I grew up playing sports my whole life. I, I, I played you know, competitive sports, and I, I've always loved sports. And I said, I don't know anything about it, to be honest with you. I said, but I'm going to learn, and I think, I think it's something that we can do. So... That was right around 1995. I, I started here part time in 90, late 93, early 94. Came in full time 95. I started doing roller hockey shortly thereafter, and within two two and a half years, we we had our roller hockey end of the roller skating business was such that I was finding programs in the roller skating business that weren't making money and cutting them out to put roller hockey in place. And before you knew it. We ran out of things to cut, but we still needed more time. So the owner of the building said to me, listen, why don't we put an addition on the building and we'll put up a roller hockey center? 
we started talking about this in 1997, 1998, and 1999, we went under construction. At that point, the owner made me his business partner, and I became a partner in the business. 2004, 2005, uh, the owner approached me about leasing the building from him, and I did. And then in uh, 2011, which was three years ago today, or you know, almost to the day, three years ago, I had an opportunity to purchase the building from him, and I bought the building. <laughs> it's never, ever, honestly, God, you know, it's never really been a chore or a job or something that I woke up in the morning and said, ugh, I got to get back over there. It was never that way for me. I mean, how could it be? I mean, I'm, I'm running, you know, our, our, our wood floor that we roller skated on for years and years and years. We, we convert it. We do <clears throat> indoor basketball. We do volleyball. We do some soccer on the wood floor. We have the full-blown roller hockey center with dashboards and glass and it's like a carnival. It's like working in a carnival for me. It's 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 never been it's never been a chore. So that's how I that's how I became where I'm at today. And honestly, Joe, I wouldn't look back. From that point of that perspective of my life, there's there's really no regret. I mean, some people have regret. I mean, you know, I'm I'm fifty two, gonna be fifty three years old, and people in my at, at my stage of life, like you said to me, the later stages of my life, uh, <laughs> have regret. I know they have regret. They, I have friends that have regrets. I, I have I have certain regrets in life about certain things that I may or may not have done. But choosing this as as my profession has never been one. Never been one. Wow, that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> but thank you for all that. <laughs> so, how was your dream received by family members? Like you told them, "Hey, uh, I'm you know I'm going to start working here." And then I mean, you kind of mentioned that before, but mm-hmm. go let's jump towards okay i'm going to start doing this full time as my own business what you know what was the response from your family well let's talk about the two most influential women in my life you know i I never i never want to lose sight of that to me my wife what are you nuts what are you out of your mind why would you want to do that tell gary no it was gary was the guy who wanted to vote tell him no tell him you just want to work for him he's got all the responsibility my mom Oh, I would do it. I told you you could do this. So it was it, it was it was a split. It was a 50-50 split. And unfortunately, I I had to make the final decision. Or fortunately. Yeah, my wife uh, initially was was not I would say 100% on board. My kids, you know, at this point, you know, you're talking, you know, the mid 2000s, uh our son Michael uh, at that point, we figure that was what Eight nine years ago, he was probably eleven or twelve years old. Our daughter Brooke was uh, at that point eight, maybe nine years old, and they had both been basically born and raised in the building. So they embraced it. The kids embraced it. They're like, "Wow, yeah, this is great." You know, we're gonna we're gonna own the building. This was their playground that they grew up in. Uh, my wife, not so much. She saw the big picture. The big picture is. You know, you have a big building there. You have responsibilities. You have big bills, you know, big headaches. But, you know, ultimately, you know, we collectively, my son, my my daughter, and myself, you know, we convinced my wife that this was going to be the best thing for the family. And uh, so it's, it's, it's been good. So what steps specifically did you take to get started? You mentioned starting with flipping through a trade magazine. You found the article. Was it an article or advertisement? Mm-hmm. It was an article about, about roller hockey. Mm-hmm. And what steps did you take to get started with that? Well, 
it's 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 kind of weird because we had a at that point we had essentially just the one surface that we were skating on, which was a Maplewood floor, and there was a lot of kids at that point that I saw skating that were skating on inline skates, and the inline skate at that point was was something that was that was newer to the market. A lot of the kids had essentially what looked like a like an ice hockey skate with with a with an inline frame underneath it. And I approached a lot of these kids and said, Yo, do you guys play roller hockey? Yeah, we play hockey. Where do you play? We play at the park. Would you play inside here? Yeah, we would love to play inside, but the guy who owns the building told us before that he doesn't want to ruin his floor. And I said, let me take care of the guy who owns the building. I said, if I started a program here, would, would you guys be interested in, in playing in my program? And they said, yeah. And uh, so I said to myself, that's really the area that you need to start in is with the kids. You, you got to get the kids involved. Those are the guys that are going to carry your program through their generation. And then hopefully you get another little generation, but that doesn't end there because there's a lot of adults. I was an adult at that time. I still, I still roller skated. I, you know, and I never thought of putting, you know, inlines and, and, and a hockey stick, you know, in the same equation. But then I said to myself, wow, that's, that's really awesome. I mean, you know, it's cheaper than ice hockey and, you know, you can, you know, still basically play the same sport. And I'd always played street hockey as a kid. I loved it. I thought it was the best. Unfortunately, you know, my folks couldn't afford to put me into an ice hockey program. So I did what I had to do, you know. But so I went to the local parks where these kids were playing roller hockey. And I ran into some adults, men that were out there skating around, shooting hockey balls. And I walked over and I said, you guys play here all the time? And they said, Oh yeah, you know, on Sundays we got a big group that comes down here. You know, we split up teams and we play. I said, what do you do when it rains? They said, we don't play. I said, if there was an indoor facility locally, would you would you consider playing inside? And they said, yeah, but nobody around here is offering anything. And I said, well, if I offered an, in, an indoor roller hockey program, would you start playing? And they said, yeah, sure. You know, we, we would consider it. So in a matter of a month, a month and a half of just doing what we're doing right now, just talking to people, I found out that if I offered if I offered an indoor program, I can get kids to come inside and play. And if I offered an indoor program, I could potentially get adults to play. And that was, like I said, in the mid, mid-90s, mid 95-ish, maybe early 96. Started out with probably 25 or 30 kids playing in our program. And that blossomed to the, to the, to the height of our popularity. We at one point had maybe 350 kids playing in our program. The adult program, I, I, I started out with five or six teams playing pretty bad hockey. <laughs> but uh, that blew up to where we're at today, where we customarily would run anywhere from 50 to 65 teams in our adult program, depending on the time of year. And it was all realistically spawned on the fact that I just went out and kind of pounded the pavement, if you will, a little bit. Went down to the park and looked around and talked to some people and put my name out there and told them where I was at. And that was it. Yeah, I mean, there's constantly teams, a lot of teams here. I, I mean, I play here personally, so it's pretty crowded, especially on Sundays. <laughs> what roadblocks have you hit along the way? Not too many, to be perfectly honest with you. Where we're located down here in southern New Jersey, there was a few roller rinks, like we were at the time, uh, that were doing roller hockey inside the rinks. And we kind of fed off of each other. We formed a little alliance, if you will. We had this little Delaware Valley Roller Hockey League. And, you know, we put together some some youth travel teams. And 
you know, the other rinks put together youth travel teams. And I'm talking travel within a 10-mile radius of the facility. So it wasn't like, you know, we were driving to Pittsburgh and back. We were, you know, driving, you know, from Washington Township to Deptford or from Washington Township to Berlin or, you know, something like that, which are all within a 10-mile radius of the facility. So initially, there, there really wasn't any roadblock blocks. Uh, when we when we got to the point where we were going to put up the dedicated roller hockey rink, unbeknownst to us at the time, the mecca of roller hockey, not only in New Jersey, but in the country, was located in Berlin, New Jersey, 20, 25 minutes from where we're sitting right now. A uh, gentleman was running arguably the best roller hockey program in the country. And at that point, when he found out that we were putting up this facility, there was a little resistance on his end. Uh, not, I don't say resistance is probably a wrong word. Uh, acceptance is a better word on his end. And he went so far as to call us on the phone and say, what do you, what do you think you're doing down there? You, do you know I have a dedicated roller hockey rink right here in Berlin? Why would you do something like that? And my explanation to him was, listen, I'm not trying to hurt you personally or professionally. I'm just trying to put up, or we're just trying to put up at that time because I didn't own the building, but we're just trying to put up a facility that will best serve our customer base. That's that's all we're trying to do. We're not we're not trying to hurt you or hurt anybody in what we're doing. We're just trying to service our customer the best way that we can. And there was there was a lot of underlying stuff going on in the background. Don't go down there to play in his place. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, he's a new guy. I've been doing this for a long time and long time. Roller hockey really burst burst onto the national scene sometime in the early 90s, 91, 92, 93. So he may have had five or six year leg up on us, which at that time seemed like a lot. You know, in retrospect, you think about five or six years, like I've watched five or six years just blow by me. Yeah, we, we, we hit some stumbling, some stumbling blocks and some roadblocks along the way, particularly, you know, trying to build our youth program bigger because now I wasn't building my youth program around roller skating programs. It was the program. I mean, I had to fill that building. I needed to fill that building. There was requirements on my end from my boss to get the building filled. And particularly with the kids, it was tough. But, you know, through just honestly, Joe, just through, you know, dedication to the to the, the cause, if you will, dedication to the sport, dedication to my customer base, again, that fear of, of failure, that fear of walking to my boss and say, dude, I, I, I can't do it. I'm sorry, you, you put this, this $2 million building up for me and I, I can't fill it. I don't know what to do. And that fear, that fear drove me, drove me, ate at me to fill that building the best I could, run the best program I could, offer my customer base the best program for the lowest amount of money that I possibly could and get as many fannies in the seats as we could. And that's what drives me to this day. That drives me to this day. That's pretty crazy the level of commitment that going to a you know a two million dollar building and not even I mean realistically knowing that you're going to be able to to make it all happen I mean you at that point you had programs here so you had some you know you had kids you were gaining ground but that's I mean once you make that commitment that's a that's a pretty scary thing to have to deal with mm-hmm. <laughs> and then to perpetuate it mm-hmm and, and year over year, continuously have people coming into the program. 
I mean, now, well, now you know, all these years later, now that you're established, it must be a bit easier because you have the word of mouth and you have that longevity behind you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, initially, initially, like you said, I mean, even though we did carry a program with us, if you will, into the new facility, it, it wasn't it wasn't at capacity. the The building at that point was probably fifty percent at capacity. You know, to get that to one hundred percent capacity <clears throat> did did take a lot of you know, dedication, a lot of work. It was it was rewarding knowing that wow, man, we had we had a hundred kids playing in our program when we started last year, and we got two hundred kids in our program, and you know that that is rewarding. You know, not not so much from my perspective, from a monetary standpoint, because I, I I tell my friends, I tell my family, I, I'll tell anybody the business and the money. Has has never never really drove me. It never. I'm not driven by making the money. I'm not driven by you know the business. Do I love it? Yeah, I love the business. I was always driven by the people. I I I told you earlier. You know, one of my things, what inspires me, I genuinely enjoy meeting people, and I genuinely enjoy watching people get enjoyment out of coming in my building. You were talking about this earlier before we were on air. That fulfills me is to watch some kid come into this program and get enjoyment out of it. And it's, it's been rewarding in, in that respect. I got a lot. I mean, I can't, I can't begin to tell you how many great people I've met in this business and people that I not only consider my customer, but friends, uh, that, that I will know forever. And that's, it's been, it's been good. So is there any parts of your dream that haven't quite worked out yet? Well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, have have I have I written these things down and kind of crossed them off as I've gone along? No. Should I have? Probably. But I'm sure if I if I really thought about it long and hard, there's aspects of the business that you know I I, I haven't really struck gold with yet, if, if 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 you can use that term. So the conversion to in the wood floor to basketball and volleyball and some indoor soccer on the wood surface. Has been has been good for us. Unfortunately for me personally, that's not really my forte. Basketball has never been my forte as far as the sport. I don't know enough people that drive that sport to make my basketball program the basketball program in the area. So if there's a couple things, yes, that is something that I'm that I'm continually working on. That I'm continually striving to meet people in that industry that could drive that part of our program and make that program better, particularly with the basketball. It's such a great sport that is embraced by so many people of all races and any any cultural background, any socioeconomic background. Basketball is embraced by so many, so many people, so many countries. I mean, every country in the world pretty much plays basketball, where it, you, you can't really say that with hockey. Hockey was always perceived as being a sport for people that were were well-to-do that that had money that where they could put their kid in and, and it's always driven by ice obviously because that's the, the thing that they're thinking about it's always been driven by people that are a little bit more well off than other people and it was kind of like in a oh wow they that their kids play ice hockey like that was a that was a big deal but basketball like i said is is a sport that's embraced by for, by everybody and that's one thing that, at this juncture, I still need to get a better grip on. 
So it's something I get, hey, it's another little project I can work on. <laughs> keep, me, keep me going for the you know, next eight to ten years. There's always something, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Well, there has to be. But that's what makes it fun. Like in my, in, in, in my industry, that's what makes it fun. I mean, it's like any other business. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. You know, the faces that come in and out of the building may remain the same, but sports as a whole are changing in, in a lot of different ways. Big thing right now is what do we do as an indoor sports facility? What do we do? And I, I don't want to, you know, bring this, you know, conversation to a dull point or a you know, a blunt point, if you will. But, you know, what do we do as an industry to protect our, our athletes? What do we do to minimize injury? What do we do equipment-wise or facility-wise? How can we make it so nobody gets hurt? It's all over the news. I mean, you know, the concussions and the youth sports, you know, particularly like football. Hockey's a big one. Kids getting head injuries. Kids getting neck injuries. And from that standpoint there's there's a lot to learn i mean injury is not like it used to be back when when i was a kid playing sports you know it was like oh uh what happened oh i smashed my head i rubbed some dirt on it it'll be fine you know that that, that was it you know uh now it's like you know you you really have to be cognizant if you know you do have you know a player that suffers some sort of any any injury head injury back injury arm neck you know it doesn't matter what it is so from that perspective there's there's always stuff to, to, to move forward with. Yeah, definitely, definitely. You you already kind of touched on it, so why don't we just follow through with the question. What do your dreams for the future look like? I have two children that both collectively and individually have expressed interest to me that they would like to continue on in the business. They want to wrestle the old man for control of the business and send me off to sea, if you will. And... 52, going to be 53 years old. Not that it's work for me, per se. Air quotes, people, air quotes. It's not work for me, but I would I would like to one day, you know, retire and not have to have the, the, the stress and, and the worry of running not only building a 46, we have a 46,000 square foot facility here, not only running a building, but running the business within the building. So my vision for the future would be to have one or both of my children take over the business from me and I can kind of drift off if you will to the right never really relinquishing total control because I that, that's just not my it's not in my makeup but I would I would love to have my my kids take the baton and 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 move forward with it and at that point I'm, I'm not going to you know just say okay well I'm done and walk away I mean I would always be there you know whether it was for managerial expertise you know if they needed you know hey yo we're going on a family vacation can you can you work the week for me you know i would step back in and you know stay here for you know a week two weeks whatever they needed or if they you know once or twice a week hey you know listen can can you can you work a wednesday night for me can you yeah sure i mean i would love to do that i would love to i would love to be able to take a step aside let one or two or one or both of my kids just like I said, take the ball and run with it. And if they needed to call me in from the sidelines from from time to time to, to, to kind of help out, I would be more than glad to do that. And I can envision myself being able to enjoy the business even more at that point than I do now. Because then you're not in the trenches every day. You're not, you know, as I like to say to my, my son and my daughter all the time, hey, listen, I'm the one taking the bullets here. 
you know, I'm the one who, you know, it, it stops here at my desk. And <laughs> it would be nice to kind of step out of that, let those guys take the hits, if you will, because you're dealing with customers. You're dealing with people. You're dealing with a lot of people's children. People's children are the most important thing to that particular person. You gotta be mindful of that. But you know, not not to go off on another tangent, but you know, that that would that would be a, a very nice transition for me. I never want to fully, fully walk away. Never. And I think my kids know that. But but I don't want to be the guy, I don't want to be looking over their shoulders either. I want to be able to, you know, step aside, knowing that, you know, both my children have, have a good grip on what, what's going on in the business, have an opportunity to drive the business forward continue on for another generation and maybe if they have children maybe they want to do it or you know who knows that's where not only my head but also my wife my wife kind of shares in that vision as well we we would love to be able to watch our children take something that that we've basically cultivated from the ground up and say now this is your baby passing this on to you don't screw it up you know, I think it should be easy with how much vacation time you're dishing out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. So, if you were stranded on a deserted island with your with your family, oh. what three things would you want to have with you? That's a good question, Joe. That's a really good question. One deserted island. I guess I, I, I probably need I probably need a lifetime supply of sunblock. I'm figure we're in a tropical island somewhere, so I don't want to get burned up. I enjoy the beach when I can get to it. It's nothing better than being on a deserted island, I guess, if, if you had, you know, as much as much cold beer as you could possibly have and some great reading material and having something. I, I need to read something. So I would have to, if it was me, I'd like to have some frosty beverages, something to read, and some, and some good tunes. And that's it. I would, be, I would be happy. If I had music, reading material, something, some, something, something to drink, I'd be, I, 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 would be, I would be totally happy. I mean, I guess some people like to have a satellite dish and a flat panel TV. You know, so I get, Nobody said that yet. Really? <laughs> yeah. But with the iPhone, you can, it's music, your yeah. movies, your your TV shows, your reading, everything. I mean, everything. Yeah, but where are you going to get a, a, where are you going to get a, where are you well, going to get a, just, where are you going to get a signal? It's all theoretical. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, so I want to have a signal, I want to have my iPad, and... <laughs> <laughs> Now I, I'm telling you, I, I would I would be more than happy if if I knew that I could you know enjoy enjoy a nice beverage, had some had some some good tunes to listen to, and 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 be able to read whether it's paper form, an iPad, whatever. But those those are probably the three things. And I have my family, of course. So you already have yes. That's already, why that's included in the it's question. Given. <laughs> so they're going to bring three things too. So yeah. Know, so they, somebody's bringing a flat panel. Yeah. <laughs> got something to do right <laughs> um before we get into your last thoughts i i just wanted to go real quick into for people who don't know what the difference between roller hockey and ice hockey is could you give a few examples of of the differences mm -hmm. you know the, the basic premise of the sport is is exactly the same stick puck put the puck in the net put a goal on the scoreboard but there are some nuances that are different obviously you know equipment wise it's it's essentially the same other than what you're wearing on your feet the, the boot is pretty much the same of your skate, whether it's ice or roller, but rather than skating on a skate blade, you're skating on a blade that has wheels on it. But the sport itself, ice hockey is played with five skaters and a goalie on each team. 
Roller hockey is just four skaters and a goalie on each team. Ice hockey is predominantly a checking sport where, you know, if you don't know what checking is, it's where you physically use your body up against another person's body and bump them, if you will, either off of the puck or into the boards, or you can physically check somebody uh, where roller hockey at any level, at any level, whether it's kids or adults, whether it's in-house league or there is professional leagues that are being run for roller hockey, there is no checking in roller hockey at all. So you got four on four, no check. <clears throat> There's no offsides. So basically the entire rink is wide open to do whatever you want to do. <clears throat> Where in ice hockey, there is offsides. And there is no such thing as icing the puck, as, as they say in ice hockey. Ice hockey, you can't shoot the puck from your own goal all the way down the other end of the rink and just dump the puck down there. That's called icing. They blow the whistle, they pick up the puck, they bring it all the way back down to where you dumped it from, and they face it off, and they start again. Where in roller hockey, you can just dump it, you know, all day. So those those are the big differences. It's a four-on-four game as opposed to five-on-five. There's no checking in roller hockey. There's no offsides, and there's no icing. Other than that, it's all the basic same concept. Well, thank you for that. So do you have any last thoughts to share with the audience? Well, the one thing I could say, you know, for anybody, whatever, whatever, you know, walk of life you come from. And I don't want to say this to sound cliche or corny or anything like that. But, you know, if you find something that 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 drives you, that you enjoy doing, that you want to do, do it, do it. Whether it means you're going to be the poorest person in the world or the richest person in the world or you're going to fall somewhere in between, the money is only a material thing. You, you got to do what makes you happy. To sound cliche, you can't buy happiness. You can have all the money in the world and be miserable. If you find something that you like to do, find something that you enjoy that really, really motivates and drives you, do it. And do it to the best of your ability because what's going to happen you're going to eventually reap the rewards of that. You will reap the rewards, I promise you. If you find something you like to do and you do it to the best of your ability, someone's going to take notice. Someone's going to call you on it and someone's going to give you a reward for doing it that way. That's my last and final thought. You want to share your website, Facebook, Twitter? We, well, we are on Facebook, Choice Sports Arena. I do not have a Twitter account because I don't understand it. But we do have a Facebook account. Uh, we do have a website. Our website, you can you can get to our website a couple different ways. You can go to www.choicesportsarena.com. You can go to www.choiceinline.com. Either one of those will bring you right to our webpage. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been great. It's been, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Dreamers Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Dreamers Podcast. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Dreamers Podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the Dreamers Podcast, please send an email to j at jpar.co. This podcast is copyright 2014 by jpar.co.